0: Welcome to the Healthcare Executive Podcast, providing you with insightful commentary and developments in the world of healthcare leadership. To learn more, visit ACHE.org. And without further ado, your host.
1: Hello again, everyone. Welcome to the Healthcare Executive Podcast. I am your host, Eric Sperling. Our guest today will be a very familiar voice for many as he has been high demand as a media expert for many months now. Dr. Ashish Yah is recognized globally as an expert on pandemic preparedness and response, as well as on health policy research and practice. Dr. Yah has led groundbreaking research around Ebola and has worked on the front lines of the COVID-19 response, leading key research and advising state and federal policymakers. He has published in many prestigious journals and is a frequent contributor to a range of public media. He has extensively researched how to improve the quality and reduce the cost of healthcare, focusing on the impact of public health policy nationally and around the globe. In 2021, Dr. Yaw became dean of the School of Public Health at Brown University. And before that, he was faculty member at the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health and Harvard Medical School. Dr. Yah graduated magna cum laude from Columbia University with a degree in economics. He received his medical degree from Harvard Medical School in 1997 he completed his residency at the University of California, San Francisco, and his fellowship at Brigham and Women's Hospital and Harvard Medical School. In 2004, he completed his Master of Public Health degree at the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health. He was elected to the National Academy of Medicine in 2013. And Dr. Yaw will be joining ACHE for the Congress on Healthcare Leadership held in person at the Hyatt Regency Chicago. That will be March 28th through the 31st. So you can learn more and register now at ache.org congress. With that introduction, Dr. Yah, welcome to the Healthcare Executive Podcast.
0: Eric, thank you for having me here.
1: Yeah, all right, let's get started. Um, let's talk about some of the recent events and what are some of the primary ways that you think the U.S. healthcare system has been, let's just say, reshaped by recent events?
0: Boy, where to begin? I mean, this has been a transformational 18, 20 months, getting close to two years for the U.S. healthcare system. Uh, It's been under extraordinary stress for a very long period of time. Um, I think every facet of our system, from the way that we are organized, primary care specialty, to the way we pay for things, fee for service, alternative payment models, all these issues that we've been thinking about for a long time, workforce issues, all of it is going to have to be rethought, um, but it is very clear to me that the stresses on our system in the last two years uh, will shape the way healthcare is is organized and delivered for, for a generation. Um, I will also say, and I think it's worth mentioning, that the healthcare system has been seen as the as one of the heroes of the of the pandemic. That there is still a deep well of good, you know, sentiment belief by most Americans. Uh, for good reasons, that doctors and nurses and hospitals uh, showed up and came through at the darkest moments of this pandemic. And and that, I think, will also be a very important part of how things move forward.
1: All right. And here we go again. You know, we're recording this. It's January uh, of of 2022. We're in another wave of the pandemic. So as this pandemic continues to evolve, uh, what are you anticipating will be the longer term issues we'll have to face as healthcare leaders?
0: Well, the, the short-term ones, and you asked about longer term, and I'll get to that in a second. I mean, the short-term challenges are just, the. Uh, I mean, this is, again, we're almost two years in, the, the, the physicians, the nurses, they are burnt out, they're exhausted. Um, you know, I think back to March of 2020, and we were worried about ventilators and we were worried about uh, enough ICU beds. We weren't worried about enough doctors and nurses because people were ready and willing to get, jump in and help. That is really the challenge in the short run. So, the short run is how do we just get through this wave? How do we get ready for the next waves that are going to be coming? And we're going to see more waves uh, of this virus, hopefully, each one being less and less consequential. Long term, the questions in front of us are going to be what's the right way to be paying for healthcare so that in the middle of a pandemic, we don't have health systems flailing financially when they're doing incredible work? Um, How do we really rethink? Uh, Our workforce, how do we build up a stronger, more resilient workforce? How do we build more slack into the system? Uh, How do we rethink doctors and nurses' roles? Uh, Issues around scope of practice, which has been so contentious in the past, I think has to be rethought. And then there are some really important issues. You know, I'm obviously a physician. I still practice, but I also spend my time thinking about the public health system. Another area where we're going to have to do some long-term thinking is the connection between the acute healthcare delivery system and broader public health. What are those connections? How do we strengthen them? How do we let one kind of uh, become a source of uh, resiliency for the other? There's a lot of really important work ahead in the long run to build on these things.
1: I want to go back for a minute, you know, when you were talking about the short term challenges, you did mention burnout, and we hear it over and over again, um, on the healthcare executive podcast. So how do you see the the healthcare workforce? Um, how do you see some of these solutions to some of these challenges, um, evolve as we're seeing them happen right in front of us?
0: I mean, you know, part of it is we have to try to understand kind of what what is causing the burnout. And, and, and look, burnout was a crisis, I, I was involved in a report out by the Massachusetts Medical Society, time all blends together now, but I don't say it was 2018, 2019, but it was before the pandemic um, about how physician burnout was a public health crisis and why it was so important. Before the pandemic. Yeah, before the pandemic, right? And the pandemic has only made it worse. And of course, it's not just about physician burnout, it's also nurses and and other uh, critical healthcare professionals. Um, And what's causing it? I mean, part of it is, uh, the, the difficulty in getting people feeling like their ability to get work done, uh, all the administrative and other types of hassles and challenges that slow people down. I think right now, a lot of physicians and nurses are feeling burnt out by the relentlessness of the last two years, and particularly a sense that in the last year, so much of what we're seeing, so many people we're seeing hospitalized and dying, it's all preventable through vaccinations. And I know a lot of frontline clinicians who find it incredibly sad, frustrating, and, and a sense of dispirited, spiriting. Like, just why are they there doing what they're doing when people? This could have all been prevented. Now, of course, what they're doing is God's work. They need to be there. I'm not, but the, but I think all of that is really uh, contributing. Um, we need to put a lot more attention and energy on on clinician burnout because it. What we know from data is when people are burnt out. They're less effective. They're more likely to quit. Uh, The quality of the the care they deliver goes down. Uh, There's just all of these negative effects. Uh, And it's not a sustainable long-term solution. So this is going to have to be a kind of a major priority for the health system as we rebuild after this pandemic.
1: Let's talk for a moment about communication, because we've heard so often um, from our members and fellows that good communication is vital when managing a healthcare crisis and establishing trust. And, you know, you and I were just discussing this before we started taping. You're one of now the nation's most well-known voices when it comes to public health and the pandemic. So talk to us about what goes into effective communication. Yeah, there's actually
0: pretty good evidence on crisis communication. And I, I think some clinicians, and actually a lot of healthcare executives have done it very well, and others less so, uh, not surprisingly. And no one gets it perfect. None of us have gotten it perfect by any stretch. Um, what we, what, so how do you communicate a moment of crisis? What are the key features? Um, one is to acknowledge uncertainty. Um, I think one of the mistakes people make, leaders make, is they really worry that, oh my God, we're going to create panic. And they come out very confident, like we've got this whole thing under control, when they don't. In fact, I think communicate uncertainty. Explain to people what you know and what you don't know. Explain to people what your plans are. Um, When you're acting without much information, explain to people how you plan to get information. The bigger picture bottom line is help people understand the process. Don't just give them the answer. Give Help them understand the process. Because what that does is in a crisis, the answer will change, right? One day we're saying, hey, vaccines really prevent infection. That's the goal. And then six months later, we find out vaccines are waning and, and their ability to prevent infections is not as good. And maybe people need a booster. You need to explain to people the process by which that has changed, because then they'll stay with you. So my big advice to healthcare executives is do not, you don't have any need to over like project confidence or certainty, be honest with people, level with people about what you don't know. Uh, That actually breeds more trust in the long run. And I think, by the way, it's a vital part of getting through the crisis because you can have the best vaccines, you can have the best therapeutics, but if people don't trust you, they're not gonna take it. And then the value of those vaccines and therapeutics is actually zero. if People are not willing to take it. It's been one of the challenges in this pandemic. And I think we've got to do, figure out how to do a better job.
1: So I like that about establishing the trust. So On the flip side of that is then how do you cut through some of that misinformation that that is consistently out there and then just encourage the people you're talking to, to trust experts, follow the science? How do you cut through the misinformation part of it?
0: Yeah, this is the biggest challenge. And this is something I think all of us who communicate with the public struggle with. Um, I think there are a couple of things that I that I certainly try to do. Um, I, I when I talk about what I think the evidence and data are, I also often personalize it. So I I can say, look, I know you may hear a lot of misinformation about vaccines and kids. I think kids should be vaccinated. I'm getting my own kids vaccinated right? There's nothing like that's the kind of proof in the pudding. Do I really believe this? Well, if I'm getting my own kids vaccinated, uh, that's probably pretty good compelling evidence for a lot of people that I actually am serious that vaccines are good for kids. Um, So that's one thing. The second is I often ask people uh, to ignore the noise and talk to people that they trust. So first I will say to people like, talk to your doctor about this, talk to your pediatrician, talk to your clergy, talk to people you trust Um, to get better information. So you can take them away from looking at the random guy on Facebook who is talking about microchips and vaccines and get them to focus on people that they have always trusted. Um, These are some of the kind of things. And then I think as a general principle, um, one of the key things in my mind has been uh, talking to people who are not part of your bubble. And, you know, one of the big problems we face in America is we all live in our kind of own information ecosystems that constantly reinforce our own views, but we don't talk across these ecosystems. So one of my personal strategies has been I get a lot of media requests and I always say to my team, there are certain media groups I will always prioritize over others. And for me, it's more conservative media. It's Newsmax, Fox News. Uh, because I don't feel like that's an audience that, that, that I get to reach as often. So I'm much more willing to go on those and talk to people. But I think as a general principle, we should be really talking across political lines and engaging with people and not dismissing uh, people because they believe something that you think is wrong.
1: Well, at the top of the show, you know, we said you're the dean now of the School of Public Health at, at Brown University. You were at Harvard prior to this. What are the most important skills you hope to impart on your students as you prepare them to be leaders out in the healthcare field?
0: It's a great question. I think public health education uh, needs a whole strategic rethink. By the way, medical education too, because um, when I think about in this pandemic who have been the kind of standout leaders, some of them are public health experts. A lot of them are frontline clinicians who have really risen up and, and uh, to become trusted voices. And there are a couple of things that I I think about for educating the next generation of leaders. One is um, we don't train people in communication. We just assume that communication is some natural uh, God-given thing. You either have it or you don't. We all know that's actually not true at all. We know that people need to be taught. I mean, some people are more talented than others, um, but everybody can be made better. Um, That's, to me, one of the key things. The second key thing in education that we're going to have to focus on is we are a very divided nation. And we need to train public health leaders who can work across the political aisle. We need public health leaders who can work in blue states and deeply red states and purple states and every other kind of state in America. Um, And that we have not always done. Right. We've had a mental model of what is public health. Um, Third is we need public health leaders who know how to engage the public and not just through communication by building partnerships. The reason I lay these things out is because, believe it or not, they have not been part of public health education. Public health education has been epidemiology and biostatistics. And look, that stuff is critical. But that alone doesn't help us through health crises. And so we have got to really rethink our strategy on on training public health leaders. And some of that has to spill over into how we train medical students and physician leaders as well.
1: Well, Dr. Jha, thank you. This has been such a great conversation. I want to have you close us out here with uh, one last question. And you touched on this a little bit um, in the beginning of our our interview, but, you know, with all the changes in healthcare right now and in the healthcare field over the next several years, um, how can healthcare leaders, how would you say, best prepare for what's coming? Yeah, Um, it's a great question.
0: Uh, Let me say a couple of thoughts on this, uh, Eric, as I think about it. You know, pandemics or any kind of major health crisis um, has been around as long as human society has been around. Um, But one of the features of pandemics, and this is certainly going to go down as a very major one, is that it has a transformative effect on society. And there is no question in my mind that this pandemic is going to have a transformative effect on the US healthcare system. But here's the key part how it changes. Is not written in stone. It's really up to us. So, what I would say to leaders is, you know, if you want to try to figure out how to anticipate, I mean, I can give you some things that I think are likely to happen. But in fact, the more important thing is what is the vision for U.S. healthcare that, and for your health system that you want. And then how do you use this moment when so much more is up for grabs than has ever been before to build that system? How do you build a system that's more resilient to shocks? How do you build a system that's more deeply engaged in the community? How do you build a system that understands population health and social determinants in a way that people have paid lip service to in the past, but we've really seen it play out in a pandemic. How do you build strong partnerships with public health organizations so that when they fail, you don't end up dealing with all the brunt of it, that you're actually working together to keep your community healthy and safe? These are the challenges. And then how do you, of course, we brought, talked about this, how do you build a really resilient healthcare workforce? There are no answers to these questions for how we do this post-pandemic that what I would say to leaders is you should be using this moment. I know we're in a crisis. You're trying to probably figure out how do I staff my emergency room? That's fine. That's important. Start thinking about what is the kind of health system you want in two, five, and 10 years. And then start working on developing the plans for that because there can be a lot of opportunities for rethinking the whole thing. And I, I don't want people to be reactive to this. I, it really is a proactive moment to build something much better.
1: Dr. Yah, incredible perspective. Uh, thank you so much for, for taking the time to join us today.
0: It was my pleasure. Thank you for having me here.
1: And thanks to all our listeners. A reminder, uh, our guest today, Dr. Ashish Yah, is part of the featured faculty for the 2022 Congress on Healthcare Leadership this March. Registration is open now at ache.org slash congress, and we'll see you next time right here on the Healthcare Executive Podcast.
0: This has been the Healthcare Executive Podcast, brought to you by the American College of Healthcare Executives. If you've enjoyed the show, please consider rating and reviewing on iTunes or your podcasting app of choice. And for more information, find us online at ache.org.